So I do have a confession I need to make. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Scott mentioned um, when he was preaching that he knew who the sleepers were in the audience. If you remember that, he talked and he made mention to that some people tend to doze off during the service. Um, and if you're up here like I am today and you, you notice that, they're called the sleepers. But I, I do have a confession. About three weeks ago, Scott, I, I decided to watch the Sunday service from my recliner rather than my chair. And uh, Michelle may or may not have a picture of me dozing off during your message, so I do apologize for that. But um, I hope that you are sitting somewhere comfortable this morning and are um, ready to hear what God's uh, word has to say. Uh, we are in Genesis chapter 19. We will be uh, verses 1 through 29 today. And if you have followed the refuge or listened much, you know that we practice expository preaching um, here at the Refuge Church. Expository preaching is, involves the comprehensive explanation. It involves um, taking scripture for what it is, word by word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, which means that you cannot skip the difficult verses or the difficult chapters of the Bible. So I'm given the opportunity, as I said, to stand in from time to time, and when Scott texted me and asked me to preach, I immediately responded, yes, and then he said, it's Genesis 19. I said, great. Um, I read Genesis 19 and immediately started trying to come up with a good excuse as to why I would not be able to preach this morning if you've ever read it. Uh, we're about to. Genesis 19 is perhaps, it's probably one of the saddest chapters in the Bible, it shows the ultimate depth of God's or of human and man's depravity and the fury of God's wrath. Um, I really wish we could skip it, uh, but we can't. And before we begin reading, um, I just, let's just bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I just uh, come to you this morning, Lord, I ask that you would... Um, uh, Father, open hearts and minds for those who are watching online, Lord, for those who may not even know why they're where they are uh, at this place in time on Facebook or are or, or watching a live stream. Lord, I just ask that you would speak to those uh, open hearts. Lord, speak through me. Lord, help, um, help my words to simply just be your words, Father. Uh, we love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look towards Genesis 19, I want to take a minute and recap where we've been in Genesis 18 um, and just take a few seconds to go over what leads up to uh, Genesis 19. If you look back in 18, we'll see at the beginning, three men had come to visit Abraham and Sarah, and we know that these three men were the Lord and two of his angels. And when Abraham recognizes them, he and Sarah hurry. They prepare a feast. He runs in and he tells Sarah, uh, the Lord is here with two angels. They prepare a feast uh, for the Lord. If you look further, you see in verse 10, um, the Lord reveals to Abraham that in one year, he will return and Sarah will bear a son. As Sarah hears this, she, she chuckles at the idea because she's older. She's beyond childbearing years. And that leads us to verse 14, which is so important as, as God confronts Abraham and says, why does Sarah doubt me? Why is she chuckling at the idea? Is anything too hard for God? We know that answer is no. Nothing is too hard for God. 
Verse 16, we see the two angels depart, leaving the Lord and Abraham on a hill looking out over the valley which contained Sodom and Gomorrah. The two angels are departing and and the Lord declares to Abraham and, and tells him that they're going to the valley to destroy the cities. They are going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And then Abraham, knowing that Lot and his family are in Sodom, he intercedes. He begins to, to, to talk to the Lord, and, and, and he starts off with, if there, Lord, if there are 50 righteous people, will you still destroy the city? And as, as we close the chapter down, they agree that if there are but 10 righteous people in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, that God will spare the city. And that brings us to where we are today which is chapter 19. We're going to read verses 1 through 29. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And they made, and they made, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. They said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. So the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of this place? For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, 
and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one, and my life will be saved? He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you, till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of this city was called Zor. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor, when the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew these cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. So let's talk about Lot for a second before we start uh, to break down chapter 19. So if we look back, we see Lot um, in Genesis chapter 13. If you remember, Lot and Abram had agreed to separate. They both had great herds. They both had great wealth. They had herdsmen, um, and their herdsmen had started to quarrel. And so they agree that they are going to separate. Abram gives Lot the first choice. If you look at verse 12 in chapter 13, it says, Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. We look further to chapter 14, we see that Lot had gone from pitching his tent and moving towards Sodom, now he lives in Sodom. So he's, he's gone from moving towards there, now he lives there. And in chapter 14, we see a great enemy comes to Sodom and he captures Lot and all his possessions and he basically captures the city. Abram finds out about this and Abram brings an army uh, together of 319 men and they go back and they rescue Lot and the people of Sodom and bring them back to the city. And so that brings us to chapter 19 and as as we look at chapter 19, and we, we start off, uh, the first three verses, we have moved from um, the rural setting where Abraham was down into the urban setting of the city of Sodom. And guess who's there? Lot. He's right back in Sodom. It says that Lot greets two men who enter the city by bowing before them. You see that Lot senses that these are distinguished visitors, but unlike Abraham, Lot does not realize that these are angels. Lot invites them to dine with him, to stay in his house. They initially refuse this invitation and indicate that they will stay in the town square. They were there to investigate. The Lord had sent them there to investigate to see if there were any righteous people. You remember, if there were 10 righteous, he would spare the city. 
But as they declare that they are not going to stay with Lot, that they'll stay in the town square, Lot presses them strongly. That's the word that's used. See, this was no longer a request from Lot. This was no longer, hey, why don't you just stay at my house? This was, no, you, you, have, to, you have to come stay at my house. It was serious. It was urgent. So why would Lot be so insistent that they not stay in the town square? Why would he be so insistent that they stay under the protection of his roof? And last week we looked at 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Verse 7 it says, and if, and if he rescued Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, verse 8 says this, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. So why would Lot be so insistent that they not stay in the town square and instead stay in his house? Well, I'm pretty confident, I'm quite sure that these weren't the first visitors to Sodom. It wasn't the first time that an innocent man or some innocent men had ended up at dusk at the gates of Sodom looking for a place to stay. I cannot imagine what Lot had seen and heard in the days and years prior to this day. Lot was trying to protect him. So as we continue, the angels, they agree to stay with Lot and they enter into his house. And we see verse 3, it says that he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. If you notice the contrast here between when they were with Abraham and Sarah, and look back in chapter 18, it says that Abraham went quickly to the tent and told Sarah, Sarah, you make some cakes while I go pick out a calf. We'll have a feast. Chapter 19, we look at Lot. It seems to be that it was just Lot who was preparing the meal. There's no mention of Lot's wife, it's just a mention of Lot. I think if it was important enough to mention that Abraham and Sarah prepared the meal, if, if Lot's wife had participated, I believe it would have been, been mentioned. I think it would have been recorded. So they prepare a meal and they, they, they eat together and, and we get to verse 4, it says, but before they lay down, the men of the city... The men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. So we look at verse 4, there's three points that are made. I think when, when the scriptures were given to Moses, it was very important that these three points were mentioned. It says, the men of the city, they could have stopped there. But they go for, they say, both young and old. And then finally, they say, all the people to the last man. So those, the angels were there to determine if there was anyone righteous. And so I think it's, it's very important that we see, to the last man, they had surrounded the house. And as they called out to Lot, there is no questioning the fact 
that every man in this city was wicked. There are no other righteous men in Sodom. There is no questioning the motives of these men who have surrounded Lot's house. Their motives were evil. Their motives were to attack and sexually abuse these men. Their motives were wicked, their morals were non-existent, and their intentions were very clear. They were to engage in forced homosexual relations with these two men who had come to visit the city. It's disturbing. It's, um, it's very sad. But that was the state of Sodom. You need to understand that that is what was going on in this city and had been going on. We heard in, ch in chapter 13 that they were wicked. And as disturbing as that is, it gets more disturbing as we continue on and we look at verse 6. See, Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. In verse 8, it says, Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. So Lot leaves his house and he shuts the door behind him. He begs them to not act so wickedly. And if it stopped right there, we would have said that there was some dignity about Lot. Because he put his own life at risk. If he'd have gone as far as say, do to me, don't do to them. We would have called Lot a righteous man, a brave man. But Lot does the unthinkable. And I don't know if it was a, a, a moment of panic or fear, but he offers his two daughters, his two virgin daughters, to the mob in place of the guest. It is hard to believe that, uh, it's detestable to me, it's hard to believe that this suggestion could come out of a righteous person. It, as a father, as a father of daughters, it'll make you cringe when you read this and think about it. It's an unthinkable act. And as we try to bring some sense of justification, during this time when you took a guest into your home, you were offering their protection. And in, in most instances, you were putting those guests ahead of your own family. But even still, this act is unthinkable. All this goes to show the level to which Lot had conformed to the world around him. You see, it started slow. It's, it started by moving his tent to the outskirts of the city. It was one small compromise after another. The compromise was for wealth and for prosperity. You see, I don't believe that Lot was participating in the wickedness that was going on around him. I don't. 
But Lot had become so desensitized to it that he just accepted it as the norm. He had become influenced by it. Lot's compromise turned into wasted years. Wasted years. Thrown away. The other thing is it certainly doesn't look like Lot was doing anything to influence those around him. There was nothing that mentioned that Lot was out showing God's love, proclaiming God's love to the people of the city. There was, he was doing nothing to try to influence them. There was too much of Sodom in Lot's, in Lot's heart. Lot was drawn to the glamour, the money, the prosperity, the status of Sodom. So Lot compromised. In the process, he exposes his family, his daughters, to the vile and evil ways of Sodom. You see, we're, if you're a parent, you're watching today, you're a parent, you're in this room, you're a parent, you have influence over a child, your job is to protect them. Your job is to look after your children. I hear people say, well, they're going to they're gonna see it anyway, or they're going to be... No, no, no. Your job is to protect your children and to look after your children. Do everything in your power not to expose your children to wicked or evil things. Lot had done none of that. He was living in this corrupt world and had become, had become conformed to this corrupt world. His ethical boundaries had been almost completely wiped away. I read this quote. It says, A ship in the water is perfectly right, but water in the ship would be perfectly wrong. The Christian in the world is right and necessary, but the world in the Christian is wrong and disastrous. The world in this instant instance is, is Sodom. So as Lot stands and he, he pleads with the wicked, they begin to turn on him and they move in toward him and they say, we'll deal with you worse than we would with them. And they press in against Lot. And the angels step in. They open the door. They rescue Lot. They pull him back in the house and they stricken the mob with blindness. They caused the mob to lose their sight. And even then, being struck blind, it says that the mob still pursued their wicked desires by aimlessly reaching for the door. It's then that the angels reveal that, that what is about to happen to Sodom. They tell Lot... And by now, I'm sure Lot has recognized them as angels, but they tell Lot, look, we're destroying this place. You need to tell the people that mean anything to you, your daughters, your wife, your sons-in-law, basically, anyone that Lot would have went to and told, and they would have listened to him, would have fallen under Lot's umbrella and been protected. They would have been rescued from the city. Well, let's talk about his sons-in-law. I wrote down these, 
these two knuckleheads, they think it's some kind of joke. They think that Lot is jesting. And again, so what that tells us is that Lot had been doing very, very little, probably zero witnessing in the city. He had been doing, he had not been a missionary, he had not been sharing God's love. Because if there had been any of that going on, you would think his sons-in-law would be the ones that would listen to him. It also inter- it's also interesting to think that you would find two guys from Sodom to marry your daughters after we just heard how wicked and evil they are. It's obvious that they were not righteous. But even still, they would have been rescued had they listened to Lot because they fell under Lot. God would have spared them because of Lot. He would have spared anyone that would have followed and heard what Lot had to say. But Lot only had influence over three. And we look at at verse 15, it says, As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. What does it say next? It says, But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. As they brought him out, they said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. We continue on, it says, And Lot says to them, Oh, no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, the city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one, and my life be saved? He said to him, the angel said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. So after what had to be a very stressful night, dawn is now at hand. And yet the angels urging Lot and his family, it's time to go. You have to leave now. But what does Lot do? It says he lingers. Why would he linger? Why would he, he he has seen the angels rescue him and strike these men blind. and, And there is some righteousness in Lot, but he still, he lingers. As I've studied, I found several thoughts that, but the, the, the overriding thought was that Lot had stuff. Lot had possessions, right? He had things. He had status. He had money. Lot's heart was lingering to stay in Sodom. We read in Matthew 6, verse 21, and Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Lot's treasure was in Sodom. His heart was still holding on to Sodom. Even still, with Lot lingering, God shows mercy. It says the angels grab all four by the hand and pull them out of the city. And I love what Spurgeon said here. I love this. He says, Spurgeon says this, he goes, I have always felt pleased to think that there were just hands enough to lead out these four people. Lot, his wife, and their two daughters. Had there been one more, there would have been no hand to lay hold of the fifth person. But these two angels, with their four hands, could just lead these four persons outside of the doomed city. God will always have agents enough to save his elect. There shall be sufficient gospel preaching, even in the darkest and deadest times, to bring his redeemed out. God will miss none of his own. There were four hands for four people. God always provides exactly what is needed. As they're told to flee to the hills, Lot makes a feeble plea. Please, the hills are too far. They're too steep. He is permitted to take safety in the small town of Zor. And, the, and Spurgeon continues. He says this, he says, I think that I have said this to you before, that the sparing of Zor is an instance of the cumulative power of prayer. I may liken Abraham's mighty pleading to a ton in weight of prayer. You see, you have Abraham, the friend of God, is on the hill interceding and praying for the righteous of this city. And Spurgeon likens that to a metric ton as far as prayer goes, as far as the weight of prayer. And Lot's petition is like an ounce of prayer. Poor little Lot. What a poor little prayer it was. Yet that ounce of prayer turned the scale. So it was a mighty man of God praying nearby, but he could not obtain, obtain his request until the poor feeble Lot added his featherweight of prayer to that great intercession. The scale turned. Zor was preserved. You see, that mighty intercession of the friend of God did not prevail until it was supported by the petition of Lot. So the relevance of that for us today. So as Christians, we are to intercede for the lost, for those who are struggling, for those who are in need, our intercession is so important. Prayer is so powerful because our intercession, and, and when you add my intercession and your intercession and your intercession, and we add this intercession to God, it's that little feather of prayer for the person who's lost or is hurting that turns the tide. 
Lot's request is granted. He is permitted to flee to the town of Zor. To flee quickly and don't look back. And they reach the town, the destruction begins. It says, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor, and the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew these cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and, the, and what grew on the ground. It was complete destruction. It was the wrath of God. You see, there was nothing left. There is not a trace of these cities. The location that they were, were at is believed to be where the Dead Sea is today. The Dead Sea today is about 30 miles long, maybe a little bit longer, and nine miles wide. So looking at this, I thought it was an interesting fact. So I googled, where is Sodom and Gomorrah, right? You get on the internet, and good old Wikipedia gave me this answer, which I thought was pretty interesting. It says, when you look, where is Sodom and Gomorrah, Wikipedia says this. There have been various proposals and attempts to locate the Canaanite Pentapolis situated around the Dead Sea. However, the task has proved daunting. Of the five cities, Sodom, Gomorrah, Zor, Adma, and Zeboam, only Zor has positively been identified. The book of Genesis adds that it was the only of the five cities to be spared the divine punishment. That's in Wikipedia. And it goes further, as Lot and his daughters needed refuge. How about that? This smoldering site of destruction, the enormous hole that was left, is today where the Dead Sea is. How ironic. The Dead Sea where absolutely no life form grows. The Dead Sea is 1,300 feet deep. That left a hole in the ground when the wrath of God came down. This description of this great destruction, in my eyes and in the eyes of that I've read, have been very, would be very, very similar to that of hell. The only difference is this happened and it was over. Hell is continuous. You see, the wrath of God on the unrighteous is a very real thing. And for the unrighteous, it is a reality. And we look further, we look at, what, at Lot's wife, and it says in verse 26, but Lot's wife behind him looked back and became a pillar of salt. Why would she look back? Why do we look back? Why do we look back at past sins or past addictions or things that have come into our hearts and taken up shop? We refuse to let go. See, Lot's wife, her feet were moving towards Zor, but her heart was still in Sodom. See, God sees our heart. God saw her heart. She looked back because she placed more value on her worldly possessions and her material things 
than she did on the righteousness of God. Matthew 6, 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Luke 17, Jesus says this, says, Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, but on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down on, from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let no one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Verse 32 says, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Don't look back. Understand the message here. You see, this is serious. You can't let the world in. It's a battle. As long as we're living in this world, it's a battle. Because this is a fallen world. It's a battle for our minds. It's a battle for our heart's desires. We're locked in a battle. Don't look back. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Renew your mind daily. Stay in the word. Intercede for those who are struggling, who are lost. Be a missionary. Don't look back. The Christian in the world is right and necessary, but the world and the Christian is wrong and disastrous. As we wrap up, we see Abraham has come back, and, and I'm sure he woke early if he slept at all. And he heads back to the place where he had just the day before been standing with the Lord himself. He remembers the conversation. He's back at that, at that spot. And, and I can't imagine as he looks down to see the total destruction that had taken place. But I also think, and I, I feel like he had satisfaction that his intercessions had been heard. That the righteous had been saved. It is really hard to say that it was the righteous living of Lot that saved him. It was the grace of God. As Abraham looked down, he had to feel a relief and know in his heart that Lot had been rescued, that God had heard his prayer. So as I close this morning... I want to ask each of you to do something. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to examine your own heart this morning. 
See, there's a question that we've asked many times as we've started preaching through Genesis, and that question is, where are you? Where is your heart this morning? Where is your treasure? Are you compromising? Is there something that, that you have allowed to come in and, and, and set up camp inside you that is lingering there that will not go away, that you keep turning back to? Look at your own heart this morning. The last verse I want to read and, and share with you is one that you should know that we all know, and it's this. It's John 3, 16, 17. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but, that, but in order that the world might be saved through him. see, Jesus has now become our great intercessor. Just like that song, the man of sorrows said, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus on the cross to take away your sins and mine. You have a choice today to accept that, to accept what Christ did for us, that Christ took that wrath on himself or you can take the wrath on yourself. The simple choice is there. You see, he will meet you where you are. He seeks us out. Don't hesitate. If you're questioning things right now, if you're at home and you, you have questions, reach out to one of our elders one of our deacons, one, to a leader, students, reach out to one of your leaders. If you're questioning this right now, if you're questioning your heart and you're not sure, I implore you to reach out. If you're hurting, if you're struggling, let us know. Let us intercede for you. Let us pray for you. He'll meet you where you are. Let's bow our heads.